Welcome back to Beer and Money. I am Ryan Burkwell. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about investment philosophy, specifically how to decide what your philosophy is, or maybe understanding what you've been currently doing. Yeah, but before we get to that, let's let's talk about what we're drinking today, Ryan. Yeah, so it's another Black Raven brewery beer called Samish Haze. It's an IPA, which I think we've had quite a few IPAs in the show. So I think that shows, obviously, we're in the Pacific Northwest. So there's a lot of IPAs for us to choose from. Uh, alcohol, right? 7.1 and IBU of 45. Alex, yeah. think of the taste. I, so this is an unfiltered IPA. So it's it's got some uh, some stuff floating in it, just so you are aware. Um, for our, our serious beer drinkers out there that they're well aware that uh, what unfiltered means. But uh, don't be surprised if you pour it in the glass and and see some uh, some things floating around in the beer. Uh, it's got a nice citrus node to it. This is this is an amazing summer beer, um, and it's it's I love this taste. This is going to become one of my my new favorite beers. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Black Raven Brewery, and I I haven't had an idea that I haven't enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, this is like that. The, the like when you think about a citrus IPA, this is that. It is just really well balanced, so it's not uh, it's not too much. It's nice and unfiltered, and it's got that that typical IPA without just completely punching you in the mouth with uh, with hops so if you're in the area the redmond area uh or if you've got the black raven uh, brewery around your around your grocery stores or wherever you shop for your local beers try them out we enjoy it and uh and definitely give us a shot back I'd, I'd, we'd love to hear your all's thoughts and suggestions even of what we should try so- yeah we're, we're both huge fans of black raven in case you guys can't tell <laughs> cheers so let's jump into today's conversation out. So investment philosophy, right? So we're going to talk about uh, really three pieces today. Uh, the first piece is understanding whether or not you are an active investor versus a passive investor, which we'll, we'll explain the difference there for those of you who don't quite understand that or, or have heard that and maybe want to get more details of that. Secondly is how to select the allocation, right? And just a kind of a generic response, not necessarily what you should select, but how to understand allocation and how it, how that helps your portfolio. And then the last one is rebalancing. Um, you know, we're already using jargon uh, from the standpoint of allocation and rebalancing, and we're going to explain those, those simply so that you understand what it is you're doing and how that philosophy can help you guide uh, decisions, what you're doing in your investments moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. This is a conversation that I love having. Um, you know, it really kind of gets into the nuts and bolts of how we go about uh, investing. As you said, we're going to keep it kind of high level today. Let's start out with the conversation around active investing versus passive investing. Yeah, in its simplest terms, and I'll probably oversimplify it, and Alex will then throw in his details to uh, maybe de-simplify it <laughs> or maybe even give you more, more background to it, right? So active versus passive. Active is your, what I would say is you're trying to predict what stock or what fund is going to do very well 
short term and you're going to actively change that. So you're going to predict when you should sell, when you should buy, and you're going to be changing your mind as you're seeing what's going on in that, in that company or in that, the market that given year where you're trying to chase that, that return. Yeah. You're trying to, to outguess the market or out select the market. And there's two major ways of doing this. One is kind of what most of you guys were thinking about when Ryan was talking, which is you individually making changes. That's one aspect. However, the other aspect is if you have bought a mutual fund that is an actively traded mutual or an active mutual fund, actively managed, the manager is out there buying and selling on your behalf. And so while you may buy and hold one fund, if it has a high turnover ratio, and that's something that you can search, turnover ratio, uh, that will tell you whether the, the manager is active, passive, or somewhere in between. And you might have adopted a strategy where you're trying to be passive, buying one and holding it. However, because of the way in which the fund that you owned is managed, you're still an active investor. And real quick, the turnover ratio that I'll say to that, that, that's essentially how many times the fund manager is buying and selling individual stocks or bonds that make up that fund. Yeah, if they've got a, a thousand different holdings in that, in that, uh, that fund, if there's a thousand trades placed, they've got a turnover ratio of 100%. Right. Could be the same stock that they trade a, a thousand times or the, like a, the same thing that they swap out of their portfolio a thousand times. More likely, it's m- more of those positions are being moved, uh, but it's, it's just how many trades divided by how many total number of holdings. The passive approach is more of that buy and hold type strategy. Um, and you've heard like Vanguard's very well known for this passive approach where they, they, you know, they might have an index that they're, that they're investing in or, or something aligned with their funds with that, that specific index. The S&P 500 is the largest 500 companies in the United States, right? So we're talking about Amazon, Facebook, Google, uh, Tesla's now in there. But it's a buy and hold piece. We, you're, you're in it for the long haul. You're not in there trying to actively trade to, to change your positions, to, to get a higher rate of return. You're almost trying to get what the market can provide you. And, and act, uh, sorry, passive has almost become synonymous with indexed investing. Um, they're not necessarily the same thing. Um, so be careful with the, the terminology and the language, but, uh, but, but oftentimes they're considered very, very similar. So understand which one of those you are and look at what, stocks, bonds, funds you're in, and does it match what you believe, right? That's a huge number one. And you'd be surprised how many times we talk to people and they don't even realize that they are passive, yet they've invested in an active management fund, right? That takes us to allocation here, Alex. I'm going to keep this very, very generic. So when when we're investing, when we're talking about allocation, we're talking about, okay, do we want to have all of our money in one particular stock? Oftentimes people say no to that. Very few people say yes to that. That's a high risk because if that one particular stock doesn't do well, that, that's, that 
who just loaded everything into one company. That's why mutual funds exist is to have allocation, if you will, in terms of they will own different stocks and bonds and it'll be different type of asset classes, just like we spoke in the last episode. And maybe there's an allocation inside of that. And the reason we've got this allocation is to mitigate risk in one particular area or sector uh, of companies. Yeah, we can have sector funds. We can have funds that are based on uh, broad allocations like large cap value, large cap growth, things of that nature. Uh, I realize I just started talking a little bit of jargon and Ryan and I will get into like what those different things mean. But the, the point of a mutual fund is to have some amount of broad diversification. Um, we can discuss how broad or how narrow. Um, and then the other component to that is having professional management, making sure that you've got somebody who their job is to look at the market every day and do what's best. Now, like we can have the philosophical conversation around like uh, active trading and, and whatnot versus passive. Um, that's going to be a subject of, of one of our next podcasts. Um, so we're not going to get into that today. But then once, once we get past just that active versus passive, now we've got the, the actual allocation. So what are the different asset classes that we want to own? Stocks, bonds, uh, real estate, cash, commodities like gold and other types of things of that nature. Like what's that mix and how do we, how do we actually create and build that, that proper mix depending upon your situation? And as part of that, we get into discussions around stocks versus bonds and what we want these things to do for us. And then inside of that, large cap, uh, cap meaning capitalization or the, the size of the company. So how big is it? Uh, large cap is typically considered $10 billion and up. So th- these are not exactly small companies. Uh, mid caps are between $2 uh, billion and $10 billion, And then small caps are anything under $2 billion. Um, so $2 billion is still not a small company, even though it's considered small cap. Um, and then we get into the discussion around value versus growth. Yeah, so there, there's growth. Those companies are tend to be the, the the tech companies right now would be a good example of that, right? So the Googles, the Facebook, right? The value companies are more profit-based type companies. So that, that's the difference between looking at that aspect, Alex. I, you're, what would you add to that? Sure. Yeah, the, the growth companies, what you're doing is you're expecting significant growth to the, the profits of the company. And so the value isn't based on today. It's based on what we think it's going to go to tomorrow. And they typically have higher price to earnings ratios. What's the value of the stock divided by earnings? So uh, how, might, how many, what's the multiple that we have to, to buy for a dollar's worth of earnings. The higher the multiple, the more we're assuming growth in the future. And therefore, to a certain extent, the, the more risk that we're taking on. Whereas a value stock, the underlying value of the company is based on the current, at, current uh, profits and maybe current assets. So like we can have relatively low price to earnings companies where, uh, or, or price to book companies where the book value or the, the assets that are underlying the company 
are very high compared to a dollar's worth of earnings. And so we almost might be just buying the assets of the company when we buy the stock because they might be distressed or they might have management issues or something of that nature. So uh, there's there's definitely some some potential issues there. Um, but uh, you know, really, it's a philosophical difference of whether we're we're buying a company where we're expecting them to grow and grow significantly, or whether we're buying it looking at their current balance sheet, current uh, income, and current profit, uh, and looking at it from that standpoint. Which takes us to domestic versus international, right? So domestic, obviously, that that's United States-based companies would be domestic, international would be outside of the United States. So that's- simple from that aspect, but each one of those has its own risks and the way the world from an economy standpoint has really opened up in the last 30 years, international is really more, we've definitely seen it more in portfolios than we ever have before because of stuff. Now, also what's going on in the world that also provides people are scared of that international play as well. Yeah. I mean, the the debate here is, like it's changed so much in terms of like what is international versus domestic is really based on where the company is domiciled or where it's its headquarters are so for example honda and toyota are international based out of japan uh nestle is international based out of europe uh whereas coca-cola based out of atlanta domestic company now if we take a look at like the profits of these places of these different things like some of the 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 international companies a lot of their profits come out of the u.s and a lot of the u.s companies like coke like any of the growth is coming from international so like we've seen especially with the the larger companies the difference between a domestic and an international has come down and come down dramatically so again this depends upon how you feel philosophically about these different things. And it really matters a whole lot more when we start talking about emerging markets and small cap international or small cap domestic. Yeah. So, which is the emerging and right. That is, I mean, think about it. It's, it's, it's not a proven company yet, right? It's emerging to possibly being a company. So the risk profile is a lot, is a lot higher because of that. So that's one way to, consider that that emerging verbiage inside of that we also wind up with uh political risk as well so if it's an emerging market we're talking about uh uh, places that the the government may not be as stable it may not be as democratic as we are here in the u.s uh, or in western europe or or say japan Um, and so there's there's a different level of risk where like who knows what the what the political environment is in the in some of these countries, and that can massively affect uh, investing in a company that is domiciled there or does production there or things of that nature. Yeah, so there, I just realized now it's like we we just explained a lot around the <laughs> and the, the point of 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 this conversation is. I mean, frankly, you're not going to, you, the listener, for the most part, unless you really love investments and really love digging into the weeds like this, it's difficult to understand all of that, right? And so, sure. but understanding it from a simple, from a standpoint of how you're allocated, like where your money is, depending on the, those different asset classes, creates risk or lowers risk, right? And so it's, you have to have an understanding of or philosophy of where you stand in it. That's the purpose of this, of that part. 
which takes us to rebalancing, Alex. And so this is a, most people have heard of this um, in, in its most simplest form, you know, take like the last decade, right? You might have what they call a 60-40 allocation, right? Where you've got 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, right? Oversimplifying here. And in the last decade, the S&P 500 specifically, if we're going to choose that asset class, has done really, really well. And because it's done really, really well, it changes that allocation because bonds haven't done that well. And so, bonds are interest rate sensitive and interest rates have been super low over the last decade. So what your money, while it's grown, awesome. What you may not realize is now your 60-40 allocation has not changed to, and I'm making it up, maybe it's now an 80-20 allocation. 80% is in stocks and 20% in bonds because of your money that was in stocks grew so much more than your money that was in stock in bonds. So your risk profile literally just changed over a couple year period and you didn't realize it and you chose 6040 for a reason. This is why you rebalance. Right. Now we're Same we're way. taking on more risk at a time when the market has just done exceedingly well. That may not be the proper time to add risk. And so one of the things we need to make sure is that we've got, uh, call it like a governor um, on the account, making sure that we're rebalancing back to the risk profile that you want, whether the market's doing well or whether the market's doing poorly. Um, we, we're, we're investing in this specific allocation, whatever yours is, for a reason. And so if the market drops, well, we don't want to take we don't want to have a smaller equity position when the market drops, um, we, after the market drops. We also don't want to have a larger equity position after the market rises. We want to keep that equilibrium or that balance um, based on what you originally said. And so using some sort of rebalancing makes sense to get back to how you want your money managed. So quick review for today, right? Like the purpose of everything that we're talking about here is understanding what philosophy you have and does it match what you actually invested in, right? So real quick review, are, are, you more, are you more in the active game or are you more in that passive game? From an allocation standpoint, what, what risk do you really want to have and how centered is that risk? And then lastly, are you rebalancing, right? that risk can change depending on how the, your assets perform. So making sure you're aware of that because if you didn't realize it and now all of a sudden you have a really big down year in say the stock portfolio, is that going to change everything that you've done? Right. And that's that emotional side. That is the biggest killer of the rate of returns is what we do from an emotional standpoint. So that takes us to the question of the day, Alex. Yeah. Our question today is, do you have a philosophy that guides your investment decisions? So head on, go ahead. So head over to beerandmoney.net. And at the bottom of that page, there is a spot for you to answer that question today. Or if you have questions for us, feel free to reach out to us uh, on that webpage. We hope this episode was valuable for you. And as always, Mr. Collins. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, 
please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Professional Securities Guardian or quantified financial partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 333 North Indian Park, Claremont, California. 91711. Telephone 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a fully owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burke wrote AR Insurance License number 1531912. CA Insurance License number 0K24924. Alexander Collins AR Insurance License number 7264699. CA Insurance License, number 0H24806. Pinpoint number 2021-129392. Expiration November 2023.